Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Alex Kalanorkas, and this is the Autosport Podcast. Welcome to our latest episode, which is the latest accompaniment podcast to this week's Autosport magazine. We're recording just a short while after the second of Autosport's two weekly press days has finished, and a bank holiday weekend always makes things a touch more challenging for magazine production. So my first question is to our chief editor, Kevin Turner, and that is, how did it go putting the magazine together this week? Yeah, it was uh, surprisingly smooth. Now I said that, the printers will catch fire or something, I suppose. Um, but yeah, no, it was all, all good. As you say, bank holiday Monday uh, with UK National Racing. Um, uh, my other, yeah, your other guest uh, will know a thing or two about that as well. Um, it's usually a bit of a nightmare, but um, actually it was, um, yeah, it all went um, relatively smoothly today. We'll come on to talk about what else is in the, the magazine um, later on in the podcast, but the cover feature for this week's Autosport magazine is an interview with Red Bull star Max Verstappen, who I spoke to during the 2021 season opening Bahrain Grand Prix weekend. Now, before we get into Max's words and assess his chances of winning this year's Formula One world title, I'll introduce our second guest, who is a real-life racing rival of Verstappen. Now, now, considering the sensational rise that Verstappen has enjoyed, uh, there's not actually not all that many people who can call themselves that, in car racing at least. So, GP Racing Editor Ben Anderson, welcome to the podcast. And what was your experience like going wheel to wheel with Max Verstappen? Hello, thank you. Um, yeah, humbling, I think, is probably the word I'd use. <laughs> you had this, uh, you had this uh, incredibly gifted teenager who'd barely done any car racing at all uh, rock up in Sebring doing the uh the florida winter series it was called it was a a program one run by ferrari um principally to get lance stroll ready for car racing as it turned out yeah, oh well to, never mind well yeah <laughs> i mean he didn't make it to formula one so i suppose you know it did its job um they were using formula abarth cars which i think i think subsequently became italian f4 and the idea was basically to get some some winter testing in sunnier climbs but you got to race rather than just pound around the circuit um, on your own uh, and yeah I was invited to do uh, the Sebring meeting as I say um, and Verstappen was there along with a host of other European F3 level drivers so it's quite a high standard uh, Stroll was there too um, yeah and Max just tore it up really um, quite raw but extremely fast uh, and he crashed me off actually in one of the races um, now, so we that had a bit is of an a real claim to fame yeah we had a bit of an argument in the pits uh, and fortunately his dad Jos uh, backed me up so Max had to apologise to me. Nice. Wow. <laughs> Do you, does, it, does, it, does that still come up whenever you interview him? Uh, well, we don't, I don't like to dwell on it. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's but a speck in uh, 
know the the legend of his career already isn't it um but yes i mean when he got to formula one he did remember and he once uh, glibly remarked that i taught him everything he knew <laughs> well before we get into uh, the interview that i did with max over that bahrain weekend let's actually talk about the bahrain grand prix kev what did you make of max verstappen's performance because he lived up to the billing in terms of he's got the fastest car he did everything he needed to do but he made it a bit hard for himself in qualifying by damaging the floor and then when it came to the crucial wheel-to-wheel moment against Lewis Hamilton he just and just by fractions came up short but in terms of his overall performance what did you think of that weekend? Well I mean overall it was a a very good performance I think it was the the key thing for all of us um, which led to this feature as well is that it it did prove that Red Bull has a competitive car this year Um, I think what you would say though is ultimately he lost the race in the fastest car and Lewis Hamilton won the race in a car that wasn't the fastest. Um, you know, it's often um, said that Hamilton's had it easy because he's had the quickest car, but actually there are quite a few examples in his career now where he's won the race, won a race when he hasn't had the quickest car, and that was one of them. That was down to all sorts of factors, as you uh, uh, eloquently explained in your uh, Grand Prix analysis, Alex. Um, but one of those factors was that, um, yeah, Max didn't quite get it together uh, when he tried to make the move, you know, just had that little kick of oversteer which took him out of track limits. I don't think there's any debate about that. He was definitely off the road. Um, and then he couldn't, you know, he, Red Bull did the right thing, swapped them around. You think, well, he's going to go again. And it had just taken the edge off the tyres. So very good performance, but he's obviously going to have to be ever so slightly better if he's going to beat Lewis over the course of a, a full campaign. Oh, we're talking about very fine margins, I think. Um, it looked to me like Max hoped to get Lewis and I think this is the most sensible place to have done it on the main straight down into turn one. Uh, he picked up the DRS. He had had a look the first time, then he had a proper go the second time and Lewis covered the inside. And I think maybe that surprised Max that Lewis had enough in hand straight line speed wise to, to fend him off on the, the run down to that corner. And then, of course, you get the opportunity with the extra DRS zone now to have a go into turn four. But, you know, round the outside there, it's very risky. And Lewis was just being wily. You know, he, it wasn't a completely clean overtake before the corner so it allowed Lewis to contest it and he did exactly the right thing just stuck his car on the inside line and said well you're going to have to go properly all the way around the outside wall of death and you know Max just slightly misjudges it goes off the track so it's a fair cop he can't can't take the lead that way I, I kind of felt that probably he should have waited another lap and gone for it again into turn one um, that's that's the place to do it really um, Lewis just played all the cards he had really effectively. I think also to be fair to Max, you know, he was battling a few problems of his own, um, principally the differential thing early in the race. He would have been further ahead, I think, had the car been working properly in the first stint. And also just the tyre choice. You know, Only two teams uh, had the extra set of hard tyres available for, for that race, the other being Alpha Tauri. And it turned out that that was the right tyre to have for the race. And of course, if... Max had been able to go on to an extra set of hards in the middle stint. He could have extended that stint, which would have meant that he would have had better tyre life for the attack at the end. So small things that went against him, perhaps a touch of impatience when it came to actually getting the move done. And obviously Lewis having all that experience, you know, he knew exactly, as we've seen many, many times in wheel-to-wheel fights down the years, exactly where to place his car to make it as hard as possible for snapping and the slice of luck that Lewis had is that Max got it wrong on this occasion but I'm sure he'll learn from it. It was really interesting speaking to Max over that Bahrain weekend because the sort of the timing ever so slightly worked against how how it would go in the magazine if that makes sense because you know I always like to give a little insight into how we put these things together but talking to a Formula One driver two or three days before the first Grand Prix of the season they're still fully stuck in that pre-season testing oh we won't know until qualifying we won't know until the race oh you know we, we feel good everything went good but we don't know sort of thing so it was just a little bit tricky to sort of phrase my questions to him knowing that and knowing what his answers would be sort of in advance in terms of predictions or how things really felt because they keep their cards so close to their chest but that was just that was just the way it was it was the best time to speak to him and you know it, it worked out really nicely in other ways in terms of you know it, you know he's, he's, it's the, the sort of the star of the moment it's the can he finally take on and beat Lewis Hamilton um, and Mercedes how are they going to fight back you know it's that that's that's really the story right now 
Um, but it's really interesting speaking to him. Nevertheless, I've been sort of advised. I don't know if you've you found this as well, Ben, in the past that, you know, he really opens up as an interview goes on. You know, if, if I look, glance back through the transcript, the answers are very, very short at the beginning. And uh, by the end, they really are quite elegant. They are they are going on. And uh, maybe maybe sometimes not uh, not so not so full of detail or forthright in his opinion but still giving the getting the words out but i very much enjoyed uh joined our time but um yeah kev what did you make having having gone through the feature and put it in the magazine this week which may i say has a a nice uh, a nice uh, sort of stunning cover i would say um max was snapping with his with his helmet there yeah what did you think of uh, what max had to say for himself well the key question uh i had and i think probably everyone has or the, the only question he hasn't answered really is is what what can he do can he rein himself in over a championship contest we know he's fast we know he can win races when things are against him he can pull off the overtaking maneuvers he's good in the wet he's already ticked most of the boxes but it's a different mentality sniping for the odd win when you know you're not really in the championship fight uh than it is when you're in that and you can't give points away i think hamilton yeah he knows when to not contest a corner and um, we've seen it a few times over recent years where someone like Verstappen or Charles Leclerc actually at Monza in 2019, they took the mickey a bit, but Lewis went, I've got the, I've got a bigger picture I'm looking at here. You, I'm going to let that one go. You can have this small victory, win, you know, win the battle, I'll win the war. Um, can Verstappen bring that into his game when he's in a championship fight? Because if he sends it down the inside somewhere and knocks the front wing off or whatever suddenly it's not oh, a possible win that I've lost it's oh I've lost all those points to Lewis because Lewis will not give those points away we know that so that's the that's the question I think the only question mark remaining and I thought he answered the, your, your question very well it's something that he's he's thought of he's never won a, a car racing championship but he has won it in karting um, what I thought was interesting is that he thinks that it'll be easier to fight for a championship than not because he's assuming that if he's in the championship fight, he's got a better car, so he doesn't have to take so many risks, which is kind of an interesting attitude. And I wonder if that's how reality, uh, if that's how the reality will be um, when he finds himself in that situation. Well, I, I sort of made that point in my column for this week's magazine as well, in terms of the wider things that need to go right for you know to, to win a championship. In terms of you know the strategy calls that the teams have to make, you know they took very different approaches in the season opener. Mercedes went aggressive, Red Bull a little bit more on the defensive, but still it would have worked out had he pulled the move off. So it's not it's not just it's not quite as simple as having we had just have to have the fastest car, even though that is sort of the, the most fundamental factor in a championship fight. Um, but Ben, what, what did you think of what Verstappen had to say about you know? reflecting back to his experience in karting you know he's like it feels natural you know that that sort of understanding of what it takes to maybe not go for all the moves that are on offer is it is it quite as simple as that do you think that just the way the pressures amp up in formula one makes it that much harder someone of verstappen's character you know he's he's so calm really in terms of believing in himself and knowing that he can do the job in the car i know some of the incidents he's had over the years makes him look impetuous and maybe like he isn't so calm I think he can get stressed if things are letting him down that are outside of his control. So I think if you see Red Bull repeat strategy mistakes or you start to see some unreliability creep in from the chassis or the engine that, that takes points away, that will be the point where you'll see just how ready he is mentally for the championship battle because, you know, it's a long season, but at the same time, those things can really cost you, especially if it's if it's close. If Mercedes find more performance from their car and it starts to get tighter at the top between those two, um, but I think he can handle it. The the probably the big test will be when it's right on the line towards the end. You know, if if you've got a kind of uh, you know Schumacher at Suzuka, kind of I've got to bag one point to seal the deal, but I'm having a race against the odds. You know, can he can he handle that when it's all on the line? That's going to be slightly different, but. He's a quality driver, and as he says, he has won championships before at lower levels, not in cars, but in carts. So he knows what it takes. He knows how to pick battles, but it's one thing knowing it, it's another thing actually proving it. And probably the biggest thing that's going to play a role for him is the performance of the other two drivers in those respective teams. You know, we, we saw a race in Bahrain where Bottas wasn't really quite in the picture. You know, that might have made Hamilton's life easier if they could have really used him to pincer Max but equally Max had no wingman no Perez has been brought in to to do that job to get in amongst the Mercedes and make their job harder strategically and he wasn't quite at the races in Bahrain and that's fine at the moment you know Max 
you could see he was very frustrated to lose the race, but it was immediately accentuating the positive. You know, we nearly won. We got second. We've got a quick car. We're on pole. And we haven't had a season like this before. But, you know, if Perez can't get his act together and he starts losing marginal races because the second Red Bull isn't in the fight, then that's going to start eating away at his his calm demeanour, I think. But that said, he's got a very fast car and he's been driving, I think, probably a little bit over-aggressively on the basis that he needs to do that to make up some of the pace deficit to Mercedes over the last few years. I think Leclerc was doing something similar in the Ferrari last year. So just having a quicker car that's more capable in more conditions should allow him to relax into into his driving and not need to take so many risks. Actually, it occurs to me that there's a bit of parallel with Ayrton Senna's early career in that they both spent just a, a year in you know their entry-level team, if you like, max slightly more than that before he we went to Red Bull in 2016. Um, and then they were in a team that was kind of fighting for wins, kind of had a history of being able to win championships that hadn't done for a little while. Um, and... Um, you then kind of had the same question of, you know, would they be able to live in a championship chance? Now, in Senna's case, of course, he got fed up with waiting for Lotus to be able to fight for a championship, went to McLaren, did win the championship. Now, he actually did still make some mistakes in 88. You'll see hit the wall at Monaco. He had more bad days than Alain Prost did, I would suggest, in 88. But the points, it was best 11 scores count, so he'd get away with it. Obviously, Verstappen doesn't have that because all, all points count count now all races count but I suspect that Verstappen's probably a little bit better prepared it's a little bit later in his career I think he's shown you know some of those moves that he was doing in his first few years in F1 the moving around under braking that really was pretty out of order and that he never seemed to he always gave the impression that he wasn't learning and even in 2018 when he seemed to bring himself back a bit after all those shunts he said no 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 I'm still driving the same whatever he says publicly clearly he is a more rounded uh, driver now than he was then he has changed his you know changed his way and I think he's he's probably ready to win a championship um, and you know we're just hoping that the uh, that the performance difference between the Red Bull and the Mercedes is is just right for that to be a, a, a fight that goes all the way to the end of the season well let, let's talk about that 2018 season and Ben maybe if I could come to you on this I mean what was what what, what was it like sort of noticing what Verstappen did over that season because he goes through this run of errors in the early part and he almost refuses to acknowledge that he's doing anything wrong maybe he's pushing a little bit too hard or he needs to rein anything back and sort of he just does it without sort of saying oh yeah I'm, I'm I am this is what I'm going to do now but he almost went a bit too far where he was still being asked about it and I think was it in Canada and he went a little bit over the line in his answer to one of the journalists in the press conference so yeah what was it like sort of what did he what did he change and but why did he not perhaps do it faster a lot of it is just experience. That's what he'll say. And it seems like a kind of non-answer, but I think it's fair enough. You know, he's he's come into F1 in a bit of a whirlwind, got into a top team in a bit of a whirlwind, but also the time that he's spent with that top team, they're going through a really rough period. Um, a lot of politics with their engine supplier, a lot of letdowns. You've got an established ace there in Daniel Ricciardo, and then there's a new dynamic because Verstappen's pushing him very hard the team's kind of gravitating a bit towards Max for the future but also trying to keep Dan happy at least at the start and Max is obviously impatient he if you look at the trajectory of his career and the fact that he's accelerated himself through from karting to Formula 3 to Formula 1 pushed to get into a Formula 1 seat as soon as possible and that's obviously why he went with Red Bull when there was that tug of war over his his contract when he was in F3 between Red Bull and Mercedes. Now he's he's a, he was and still is, I suppose, a, a young man in a hurry to win as quickly as he can. And I think that manifested itself in his driving. And you saw this impatience, this uh, desire to be first in every session. That's what let him down at, at Monaco. He crashed when you know the a pole and a win was nailed on for him. Really, if he could have seen off Ricardo. And I think that was the key moment when he when he finally realised that. You know, it wasn't there wasn't some other external factor that was letting him down or causing him to make the mistake. You know, whether it be, you know, the two Ferraris at uh, Spa when he's gone down the inside in, in an impetuous lunge, but there is another car on the outside that's turned across and he can't. You know, he, he says he can't legislate for that. It's always there was always a debate over the things he was doing. Well, you know, if this other thing was different, if I had a better engine, I wouldn't need to defend like this. If the other car hadn't done 
a stupid move turning in on me, we wouldn't have crashed. There was always something else to blame. But in Monaco, there was nothing to blame. There was just him going too hard, too soon in the weekend, and then shredding his weekend to bits. And I think at that point, he was he had to reflect on the fact that he he couldn't hide, and he had to just just rein it back ever so slightly. I don't think Max likes to kind of admit or talk about this process, maybe because he he sees it as a sign of weakness to acknowledge publicly that you've got you know chinks in your armour or things that you need to work on. But if you speak to Red Bull as I did at the time, you know they they will say that that weekend was a turning point uh, in terms of him changing his attitude slightly, maturing, and then just trying to, you know, build experience through the weekend, let it come a bit more naturally, dial it back to sort of 95% rather than 100%, so it all flows a bit more easily. And of course, you know, as things have developed since then, you know, Red Bull's moved on from Renault, they've moved on from Daniel Ricciardo, everything has come together a lot more for Max. You know, he's in an environment that he knows well now, He's the team leader, the guy whose voice counts for the most. And that all just helps, you know, this feeling that, um, you know, you're centred and you, you, you know what you're doing. You don't have to prove something to everyone every time you're on the track. One of the most interesting elements of speaking to Max in that interview was just just you know, as the first time I'd done a, a one-to-one with him, obviously, as, as I explained in, in the magazine, all these long-form interviews have to be done sort of via Zoom now because of the COVID restrictions. But just listening to his answers, there's just a sort of ironclad certainty about everything he does. You know, yeah, like, like I said at the beginning, he was just giving shorter answers. We were talking a little bit about testing, and you know, I wanted to get that out of the way. The sort of well, we don't know where we stand, sort of things. But at every point there was no he was unequivocal i think there's one which one one answer he gives which we're going to come on to talk about in a moment where i felt like i didn't catch him out but i i got a real sort of oh okay I, let me just think about that and, and here's what i'm going to say but for everything else he's just so utterly assured and i think that comes across in his driving as well how he talks to the team i think about that 70th anniversary win where he was just unstoppable on the day and yet mercedes at that point of last season still had an incredible performance advantage over Red Bull, you know, okay, the conditions and the tyre um, compounds really, really did change things for that weekend. But just the way he was interacting with his team, it was just, no, I'm, I'm not holding back, I'm doing this now. I'm, I'm, I'm utterly certain in what I'm doing. And he was proved to be completely correct. Um, so Kev, what do you make of Verstappen's character and, and what, how do you think that came across uh, in the interview as well? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. He's a very sure, um, a sure young man. And I, I, when he first came into F1, uh, I did wonder whether he would be able to learn, you know, some of the, uh, you know, some of the responses to mistakes that he'd made or clashes he'd been, he'd been involved with, such as the Spa one with the Ferraris that Ben mentioned. I thought, mm, you're, you know, because, you know, it took it took Senna again to use the parallel an awfully long time uh, to stop getting involved in silly incidents, and you might argue that Senna and Schumacher continued being involved in incidents when it suited them throughout their careers and I did worry that, that Verstappen <laughs> would fall into that fall into that trap after an era of Alonso, Button, Vettel, Hamilton actually all fighting pretty fair um, but to be, to, to, you know, to be honest I think Verstappen has has matured he has got that experience as Ben says he's in a much more uh, yeah it's his team isn't it you know number one drivers do normally flourish when they are number one and those fans we always like it when you get you know two balls in the same team excuse the pun but actually when you're if you're running the team and if you're the driver in question normally you build it around the, the number one driver and that's when you know we've seen Lewis drive at his best since he's been partnered with Bottas not having the niggle with you know Nico Rosberg um, I guess the interesting bit which I, I think you were sort of alluding to was when uh, when you asked him who apart from him was the best driver on the grid uh, uh, which did catch him out, which was good because uh, you can see even in the transcript you can kind of feel him thinking about it. But I think he gave you a really honest, a really honest answer. Um, you know, he he made the point that there are lots of good drivers in the field, which is a, it sounds like a cliched response, but I think he genuinely means it. You know, when you've got people like George Russell at the back, you know, these guys know who's good. You know, the the, the top drivers know who 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 are up there. So he's absolutely right to say there are lots of good drivers on the grid. But then he said, and you can't look past Lewis. So he didn't take the opportunity to rubbish Lewis either. Um, so I thought it was a very fair, very honest answer. And I thought in the interview overall, he came across as being 
rather more thoughtful than I'd perhaps given him credit before. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think what was really interesting about that answer was was why he highlighted Hamilton. It was like, yeah, okay, yeah, he's had the best car, but he he wins races that he's not supposed to win as well. And the one the one he used, obviously, because this was taking place before the Bahrain race, was Turkey in the wet. And I think everybody involved in that race knew what an incredible job Hamilton had done because Mercedes was all at sea on that track surface. It's always a bit unpredictable. It's always chaotic. And Verstappen himself came a cropper. Hamilton didn't need to live the performance for the ages. And, you know, I also asked Max about, you know, he was the only driver that could get anywhere near the two Mercedes cars last year. Like, there was time after time, we were sitting in the media centres, we were watching things along on TV, and they're just gone. They're just in another league. He couldn't necessarily beat them, as he did as the 70th anniversary Grand Prix, but he was up there with them, putting pressure on them. And I said, you know, did you, did you learn anything from watching what Lewis does? And he said, no, I, I only look at myself. Yeah, I do have a, a little look to see what other people are doing, but I'm, I'm just looking to myself first. There's no sort of, oh, I need to be that kind of driver. I need to do that, use that, those sort of tactics. And again, it was that sort of, that real certainty that he was just giving throughout his answers. I thought was so interesting, considering he's still a really young guy. Um, but yeah, it's sort of included in the more questions that I asked him about Hamilton was, you know, how much would it mean for you to end Lewis's reign as the top driver in Formula One? Because it's happened so so recently. Kevin, you mentioned it, and Senna, obviously after after him, Michael Schumacher came along as the dominant driver. Fernando Alonso defeats him. Now it's Lewis Hamilton after uh, Sebastian Vettel's had all his uh, all his years winning with Red Bull. And he didn't really answer that question. He did he did give me a, a long answer, but there was no sort of uh, you know he wasn't he wasn't biting on that one, but. Ben, do you think he is the driver? I'm going to give you the question. I'm going to put it all on you now. Can you give me the answer that I wanted Max to give me? Uh, is he the driver to finally end Hamilton's reign? I think he's the most likely, isn't he? Uh, based on you know the, the hindsight we have of seeing the first race, which obviously you didn't have the benefit of when you were doing the interview. <laughs> uh, you know, he's got he's got the. It seems anyway. Okay, it's one race, so let's not get too carried away. No, Horner has said you need probably three or four races to get. A feel for exactly how the land's going to lie before the rest of the season but given the strong start Red Bull's made the fact that Honda have put everything into this last season before they they walk away and hand the keys over to Red Bull entirely he's he's got to be the most likely I can't see I can't see Bottas doing it because the the pattern since 2017 has just repeated you know he could, in certain conditions, when things are smooth, over one lap, he can beat Lewis on occasion or get, you know, extremely close. But more often than not, you know, Bottas is going to put in a few races where he underperforms relative to where the car can be. Whereas Lewis, as we discussed, he's going to win races that he shouldn't win and finish in positions that he shouldn't finish, given the circumstances. That's the sign of a really, really top driver and Max has been doing that on his way up through so now he's got a car that potentially could take the fight you have to think well you know at the moment he has the fastest car and if Red Bull maintains that position then by rights he should be able to win the most races and the world championship if he's good enough I think he is Um, I think there are others that could also do that but they don't have the same opportunity that he has. I've got a couple of things that first of all I completely agree I think it's the it's the combination of uh, ability with opportunity you know I think there are probably another I'd say there are another maybe four drivers on the grid I'd say Who would you might, name Kev? So I'd say I'd say that the ones with the potential to end the the Lewis reign if you like at this point apart from Verstappen are Leclerc not going to have the opportunity Alonso not going to have the opportunity you know he's I can't. Yeah, the Alpine did not look very good, did it? It's not going to be a world championship winner in the next two years. Um, uh, George Russell, but again, it, you know, he's not. He, he's he might get the opportunity, but it might be when Lewis retires. Uh, and the other one, I'd say maybe it would be a Daniel Ricciardo, but again, he's not in there because I think uh, he, he's he's someone that deserved to have a championship shot when he was. Is he past his peak? Don't know. But in those middle two thousands when he was at Red Bull before Verstappen came along. He was really mega, um, and I think he deserved to be in a championship fight. And yeah, he, unfortunately, he might not ever get it. Um, but, but the Mac, one thing Mac I did saw him off though, didn't he? So the argument against Ricardo is that you know Max Max turned out to be the biggest rooster in the hen house there, 
Yeah, so it was Ricardo quite marginal though because Ricardo did outscore Max in 2017. He had the better start to eight. I mean, yes, you would put the money on your on the on the younger guy, wouldn't you? Um, I can see why yeah. Christian Horner's a bit miffed that he didn't keep them together because that was yeah, a absolutely. pretty awesome uh, combination. Um, but the one thing I didn't buy about Verstappen's uh, sort of responses is the whole oh, yeah, it doesn't matter who I you know who I beat sort of thing. Yeah, I just want to be world champion. I'm sorry, like you do to be the guy that fin- that stops Lewis Hamilton's run. That is, that does that means something. It might not mean something to him now, but it would do in future. It would do to a lot of other people as well. You know, Fernando Alonso. One of the reasons that he will be, I mean, yeah, should be considered a, a legend is he was the guy that stopped the Michael Schumacher run. And if you take Hamilton out of the equation over the last few years, you know, we'd be talking about Verstappen already in much higher regard. Like the, the Brazil 2016 race when he made the rest of the field look, look pretty daft, went around the outside of Rosberg. You know, in any other, pretty much any other time, that would have been like an absolute epic wet weather Grand Prix win by the next big thing, um, one that we'd put in the list of great wet weather drives. But Hamilton was ahead and beat him. And when Verstappen was asked, "Oh, could you beat Lewis?" He's like, "Well, no, because he was driving all the right places as well." So he's got (laughs) this guy who's in the way, who's as good as he is, with more experience and mostly with a better car. It's got to mean something if he can finally, finally, you know, beat him. Um, I think it would mean something to to a lot of people. I think you can tell already that Max has the respect for Lewis because of the fact they've now had a few wheel to wheel battles. But that's that's the bit that really tells you, you know, especially when you know your equipment's different to the other guy. You know, you can never, you can't tell how you really stack up driver to driver unless you're driving the same car in the same team and you can lay it all out and see. Uh, but when you're in battle that's when you know things are a bit more instinctive and you can see what drivers are made of and it won't have escaped Max's attention that Lewis has done similar things to Max in winning races against the odds, doing things that seem a little bit otherworldly in certain conditions. You mentioned Turkey last year, you know, it's one of the most outstanding drives of Lewis's career. And you know, while Bottas was busy trundling around near the back and being lapped in the same car. So, you know, that no one can fail to notice that. Uh, and now Max has been able to fight Lewis and Bahrain I think is a, is another example you know Lewis has managed to get one over Max there and that, that will register because Max will have been expecting even though the race didn't pan out super smooth for him it was there for the taking and he would have he would have thought as he charged towards turn four I've got him and then he comes out and realises that he sort of has but hasn't really and has to give it back and then oh no now my tyres have gone and I can't I can't launch another attack. So that's that's Lewis getting one over him in an inferior car. Not many people have done that to Max Verstappen in his career so far. The question has also got to come to Red Bull now, I think, because it's really interesting seeing the sort of dynamic swing between the two teams. Now, there's, there's, there's arguments quite rightly made that apply some pressure to Mercedes and they do crack when they're not completely dominant, as we've seen for so many years. However, in Bahrain... Mercedes straight away knew it had to go aggressive and succeeded. It needed Verstappen to make an error for Hamilton to win, you know, and, every, and a combination of everything. But as you say, Ben, you know, there was that sort of slight critical element that Verstappen made about the hard tyres not being available and sort of saying, you know, maybe we need to look at how we do our practice programme. So, Kev, what do you think about Red Bull? Is that, is that operation got what it takes to, to come out, even though at the moment it does look like it has that critical advantage of the car? Yeah, I think so. I think Red Bull consistently been one of the. Okay, so again, I guess the 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 driver analogy works again for the team in that it was different taking pot shots and risking things when you knew you didn't have the quickest car, and you do have to slightly change that. You know, when you when you've got the fastest car, but it's not that long ago that they were winning. Yeah, they've they obviously consistently won races, but fighting for championships. Um, they are one of the absolute probably the best team in the pits in terms of that they often have the fastest pit stop in each Grand Prix oh they are I think it's fair to say that they've consistently over the last few years even when they've been kind of nowhere in the championship they are the best in the pits yeah I'm not if I were Max that would not be a a major concern of mine I think Red Bull absolutely you know that they know exactly um, what it what it takes to win they've got that um, they've got Mercedes, I think, you know, in s- such a strong target. But we've seen weaknesses from Mercedes in the pits. Uh, and I don't just mean the Sakia Grand Prix with all the wrong tyres in the wrong places, uh, which was a particular comedy stop, wasn't it? Um, but 
there have been other instances where Mercedes have, have dropped the ball, lost lost races for Hamilton, uh, and you don't really see that with with Red Bull as much. So I, I'd say that they're yeah the one thing that they've just been lacking these last few years is a, is a quicker car and more importantly a, a quicker car from the start of the year because we know that they're good at developing a car through a season as well. Uh, okay, last year was probably a little bit. Um, generous to them because Mercedes turned the turned the development off on the car so early after the Belgian Grand Prix um, but I think Red Bull's consistently developed their car very well during campaigns in recent years so that box is ticked as well so finally they've started the year uh, you know on the on the front foot so to speak so yeah I think that this is definitely their best opportunity for a championship since 2013. Ben, do you think we might reflect back, and I appreciate it is difficult to give a, a big answer on this after after just one race, but look back on Mercedes taking that decision to not update the W11 after Spa in August and letting Red Bull get closer and closer and closer until the point where it won the season finale and carried that momentum, because that is, that is a big thing in, in all of sport over the off-season and into its new work on, the, on, on the, the sort of updated cars rather than brand new cars. Do you think potentially Mercedes will look back on that and think maybe we should have done things a bit differently? No, I don't think so. I think that's been one of their big strengths during this run that you know they've they've baked in a performance advantage from the start of the season and then used the opportunity that presents to shut development off, focus on next year's regulations and try to get next year's car ahead of the opposition again and keep maintain that head start if you like it's I call it the virtuous circle and they've been in it for year after year okay it hasn't worked out this time but we also don't yet know exactly how uh, these rules will or these tweaks to the floors and the other associated geometry for this season will fully affect the cars okay we've we've had one three-day test and one race weekend on the same track and it looks like it has massively hurt Mercedes and you know their chief customer, if you like, Aston Martin, uh, with this low rake philosophy. But at the same time, we don't yet know or, and haven't seen what Mercedes has got up its sleeve to kind of finesse that design. OK, they've got the pressure of 2022 to think about and they no team will be wanting to spend too much time or money on this car because of the major rules reset. But you'd imagine Mercedes have budget cap allowing their working group set up already and they're advanced on that project so they'll have a certain amount of resource to throw at this car they'll they'll relish the challenge of the rules again being tweaked to basically slow them down and try and end their their reign that happened in 2017 that was meant to be the the rules reset that that brought red bull back into play and clipped mercedes wings and they went out and continued winning championship after championship so They'll, they'll. I think they'll get off as an engineering group on that challenge, and, and they could still meet it. We've only had one race. You know, they might, they might turn up at the next race with a few tweaks, some greater understanding of a different setup, and then suddenly they unlock a bit more performance, and it's a closer fight. You know, Red Bull, because they developed all the way through last year, maybe they don't have so much performance envelope to explore with this car and they'll reach the the peak of development on this design much sooner than Mercedes does with theirs. So I still see the potential as the year progresses for a convergence of those two cars in terms of their pure performance. And that's maybe it just sounds optimistic, but of course that's what we need for this title battle between Max and Lewis to to evolve into the, the spectacle we all hope it can be. And to back up Ben's point, actually, um, on the on the answering your question about, you know, should, are they regretting not doing that development? If you look at the reasons that we believe at this point after one race why they've lost their advantage, it's because of cutting a hole in the floor, which has stuffed the low rate concept, as Ben mentioned, and Red Bull sorting out their skittish rear end, which obviously Mercedes couldn't have any influence on. So it on both of those counts it makes no difference whether they started develop you know carried on developing the w11 all the way through the year or not i think they're independent of that of that fact um but what i do hope um i hope ben's right about the convergence because all the teams ferrari have already said stuff 2021 we're looking at 2022 if red bull and mercedes are close enough to go oh actually no we'll just keep pushing with these cars a bit longer because we want to win the championship and everyone else goes, right, well, we're out of this and we're going to develop the 2022 
cars hopefully that'll allow that midfield battle to get a bit close to Red Bull and Mercedes for when the new rules come in I mean do you remember that when the rules changed in 2017 Ferrari were an awful lot closer that year than they had been in 2016 you know it brought the it brought people towards Mercedes it was still impressive that they they won out but 2017 2018 you know Ferrari with a bit more luck could have won it in 17 I'd argue that if you swap Vettel and Hamilton around in 2018 a Ferrari driver would have won the world championship so hopefully with a bit of Red Bull Mercedes battling this year we'll have a three four five teams in the fight next uh, next year that's the dream and it is a really hard call for Mercedes because Red Bull really want this championship you can you can just sense that they've thrown everything at it Honda's thrown everything at it Honda's come out of the blocks with a with a really good package it seems and of course there's no development allowed this year that you've got what you've got so you can only finesse what's there so Mercedes really they have to decide how much they want this eighth and eighth because Red Bull are there and they're going to be pushing to take it away this year before the rules reset. I'm sure Red Bull won't sacrifice 2022 for 2021, but when it comes to judging that equation, they're not going to do a Ferrari all in for 2022 and you've just got what you've got. They're going to push hard. So if Mercedes wants this, they're going to have to push hard too. And that's what we want to avoid this season just becoming, you know, a sort of drab, more of the same uh, holding pattern until 2022 well I've got I've got one last question that I kind of want both of you to answer and that sort of concerns about what we might learn about F1's best team in, the, in recent years and F1's best driver in Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton because I found I found it absolutely fascinating watching Mercedes reaction to winning in Bahrain because I think there was a very real sense that they utterly surprised themselves that they that they did win you know there were messages pinging about press whatsapp groups being like oh it, it, sorry toto's media call is delayed by 15 minutes it's a bit chaotic right now and i think that it, it, that sort of that just shows you that it's like what, hang on a second this is a real turn up for the books and how often have we been able to say that in the last uh, seven years it's, it, it's, it's really different james allison in those amazingly open uh, youtube videos that mercedes produces talking about what it was like to win that race from inside the garage you know it's like he was chest burstingly i think was uh, was the phrase that he used and i just thought that <laughs> You know, that real tension of, of doing something that they weren't expecting really, really shone through. And I think that you always learn something fascinating, whether it's succeeding against the odds or how you react to losing a race when you when you, when you should perhaps win it is, is the most interesting things in, in all sport. Um, but Ben, why don't I come to you first? I sort of, I've sort of explained my thoughts there on, on how I think we learned a bit about Mercedes last weekend. But what might we learn more about Lewis Hamilton this year? Because he's always spoken about wanting to take on the younger guys wheel to wheel and beat them and that just adds to his legacy if he can do it it adds to his enjoyment of Formula 1 if he can do it but yeah what what, what things might we potentially see about Lewis Hamilton that maybe we haven't seen in the past or, or just not seen for a while well it's the last thing for him to tick off isn't it really you know he's as you say he's he's mentioned several times in the past how you know he's he's constantly looking for ways to improve to raise the bar to innovate to get better that he wants young guys to to come up and push him it hasn't really happened but now it looks like it is starting to happen and there's you know there's kind of the double threat isn't there because you've got Max on the one hand in the other the other alpha team of this season uh, hopefully giving it to him at every race meeting this year but you've also got the kind of George Russell up and coming within the Mercedes operation aspect the possibility of uh, Mercedes looking at Max to to join Mercedes in some kind of Russell Verstappen super team as Zach Brown was was stirring uh, during the Bahrain weekend. You've got Lewis kind of mulling his own situation. How long does he continue? Can he extend this one-year contract he's got? There's a lot swirling around, a lot for him to deal with, uh, more to manage than ever, really, along with you know the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. And then after all of that, he's got to have some space in his head for... How does he go racing with a car that's not started the season as the best? I mean, you could say, you know, Mercedes have been in a slightly similar position as regards kind of 2018. You know, Kev mentioned that Ferrari probably had the quickest car on balance that year and with a, a better driver than Vettel was that year, might have won the championship. Uh, but it, it hasn't felt yet since the hybrid engines came in that Mercedes have had quite this bigger challenge to get on top of their car and they haven't been chase, really chasing a target. It's always been a marginal tyres based thing, a swing from session to session, but not really a whole weekend where, you know, they were on the back foot. And I think that's why you saw 
reaction you saw from them it's probably in some ways a refreshing position for them to be in you know they've they've come to a race not really favorites and certainly in their own minds not favorites and won it they've stolen it from from red bull and there's no better feeling in racing than doing that because if you turn up and you're quickest and you've got the quickest car you should win uh if you turn up and you haven't got the quickest car and you somehow manage to finish first that's the best result you could get better than you expected so i think uh the way Lewis won that race, you saw all of his kind of guile, uh, his canny racecraft, his kind of ability to keep the Pirelli tyres working and alive while lapping extremely quickly. That's something I think Max is very good at and showed um, in the earlier days of his career at Toro Rosso when the tyres were even more fragile. But Lewis is an absolute master of that. It's one of the the even though I think he doesn't get enough credit for it. It's one of the reasons that Bottas really struggles relative to Lewis in races. Uh, so you're, you're already seeing, I think, the kind of best of Lewis. Um, of course, James Allison says that Lewis tends to start the season a little bit quietly in terms of his own performance. And then he, he manages his energy levels and builds up as the championship progresses and kicks on in the second half of the year. That's what we saw in 2017, 2018 in those Vettel Ferrari fights. So that's the interesting bit for me. It's like, what what is there left for Lewis to find? And will he have to dig that bit deeper to take the fight to Max if Red Bull Honda managed to stay in the game all the way through the first part of the season into the second part of the season? I don't think we'll learn anything about Lewis this year. I think what will happen is that he... All he will do is con- is convince some of the non-believers, although if you're still a non-believer at this point, then there's probably no hope, really. Um, I think that he will pull out some amazing wins and fights that uh, is basically we've seen him sporadically win races for Mercedes when they shouldn't have won Italy 2018 would be another one uh, and I think he'll just do more of that but I think that Verstappen is too good and the Red Bull will be too fast over the course of the season to win the championship so I think it'll probably be a, a sort of a heroic some mega drives probably worthy of his top 10 I'll have to redo that list yet again uh, at the end of the year um, and he'll finish second in the championship and I suspect he'll absolutely thrash Bottas I think you know when the going gets tough and Hamilton has to pull out his best stuff uh, then Bottas will be found more wanting in fact you saw it we used to see it with Marcus Schumacher and Rubens Barrichello when the cars were good Rubens could be quite close to Michael and sometimes beat him but when the car was a bit not there or he was in a championship fight you know, sometimes he was, you know, he was in a different postcode. So, I think we'll 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 see some of that. I think they really elevate. The interesting thing, I think, is if um, Perez is going to be able to give Bottas a run for third in the championship. I think that could be quite interesting. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, one thing I think we definitely will learn about Lewis Hamilton in 2020 is how he gets on as a team owner in another form of motorsport. Obviously, Extreme E made its debut uh, wonderful segue love it that's a pro right there that isn't it perhaps that's something that our readers should also check out in the magazine this week which is Matt Hughes report from Saudi Arabia Kev but what else is in the magazine well just a shout out to Matt Hughes as well who seemed to be in and out of uh, of uh, digital contact throughout what felt like a month was actually something more like a week and a half I think as he tried to chase follow and generally flag down electric cars in the middle of a desert uh, but I think um, we did manage to get lots of good interviews because, of course, once he caught up with the stars like you know Loeb and Jensen Button, they didn't have anywhere to go, so they were stuck with Matt Hugh in the middle of the desert. So it was definitely uh, it was definitely worth worth sending him. Um, Our condolences but, to them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who to feel more sorry for, really. Anyway, no, we um, I digress. Um, uh, well. One uh, one driver who um, did win championships in uh, junior single seaters, Rafael Marcello, uh, uh, through F3 and then got to F2 or GP2 as it was then, and his his career ran out of momentum. He's now one of the world's leading GT3 drivers, and uh, James Newbold has spoken to him about what went wrong and why he doesn't really care that it went wrong. He's quite enjoying life going after the big endurance races, and he's. Uh, He's pretty good at it, you have to say. So um, sort of a nice a nice feel-good story there from someone who is, I think, one of our leading GT drivers uh, in the Autosport Top 50 last year. Uh, and then sort of on a completely different but retro theme, because obviously I love to include a bit of retro whenever possible. Um, 
we've got uh, Brian author Brian Harvey has uh, done a piece for us looking at F1 drivers when they appeared in F2 so that's current F1 drivers stepping into F2 which for a modern young audience probably sounds a bit crazy um, but in the 60s and 70s that used to happen all the time so Jackie Stewart Jim Clark Jock and Rint used to go down into F2 and have more battles there uh, and in fact some of them were closer because they were uh, lower powered cars and they tend to have you know Formula Ford style slipstreams at some places so um, there's a little piece on that and then he's picked out uh, 10 epic races um, that, that were during that period so that's quite a fun one a bit, something a bit random um, and then obviously we've got our usual uh, our, our national guys uh, Stephen Licorice and Stefan Mackley have put together the, the uh, national section and looking at the rise of GT Cup uh, which I remember starting out as basically a place for old old GT3 cars and British GT cars and now seems to attract some quite modern kit and some quite proper drivers. I think Adam Carroll's uh, dip, dipped in and out of it so perhaps we should get Ben a guest driving it that's what we should do, get Ben out there in a uh, in a GT Cup race I thought you were talking about proper drivers Kev You weren't that far off Rob Bell in the GT3 McLaren in the track test which is also coming <laughs> to an Autotalk magazine near you soon <laughs> Still need some work I mean we talk, I mean, you know, at the top of the show, we talked about Max Verstappen. Though I, was, I couldn't hold a candle to him. You know, that's that's the, that's that's proper drivers. I think Marcello might have been there as well. Actually, I'd have to check because he was on Ferrari's books at that point. It also sounds like you more than held your own in the argument in the pits against uh, Max Verstappen, which I imagine yeah, even well, at a young age was quite intimidating. Well, he's well, he's quite. He was a young guy. He was only sixteen or seventeen. So, I mean. If I can't stand up to a 16-year-old, then <laughs> <laughs> there's not much hope for me. <laughs> well, on that note, I always like to leave people laughing. That's our podcast for today. But before you go, here's what you can see right now on Autosport Plus. It's my weekly column that this week discusses the critical strategy calls Red Bull and Mercedes are going to need to ace in 2021. Matt Q speaks to one of the scientists working on delivering the environmental aims of the new electric racing series Extreme E, while Mark Gallagher delves into the new team structure being deployed by the Williams F1 team in a feature that also appears in this month's edition of GP Racing Magazine. New Autosport Plus subscribers who sign up today can use the promo code PODCAST during checkout to save 50% off their first payment. Go to autosport.com slash plus and click sign in at the top of the page, then use promo code podcast for that 50% discount. Thanks for listening today, and we'll be back soon. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. American Giant does things the hard way, but that's because it's the right way. By choosing to manufacture all of its clothes in the United States, American Giant supports local communities and produces the highest quality goods on the market. Ten years ago, they went against the grain and imagined making a hoodie of unbelievable quality locally. One that would hold up for years and get better with each wear. They did just that, and now they have a full range of durable essentials for men and women, including tees, premium sweaters, cozy sweats, and so much more. The best part? Everything is American-made to the highest standards, supporting hard-working communities, living wages, and safe working conditions, so you can buy your values and fill your closet with long-lasting clothes you can feel great about. Wear your values in the new year, complete with durable essentials at American-Giant.com and get 20% off with code NY23 at checkout. That's 20% off at American-Giant.com, code NY23. Sports Social Podcast Network.